Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Crawl, and you're listening to episode 56 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with Haley Clare, who is the granddaughter of Imagineer Harriet Burns. For those of you who don't know about Harriet Burns, well, you should, because she was the first lady of Walt Disney Imagineering, not just by title, but also was truly the first woman to ever work at Walt Disney Imagineering. She worked directly with Walt Disney, Blaine Gibson, and other famous classic Imagineers and Disney legends. In fact, Harriet Burns is a Disney legend herself. She also has a window on Main Street and has contributed to many classic attractions, including It's a Small World, The Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, Matterhorn Bobsleds, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Carousel of Progress, the list literally goes on and on, and the majority of the attractions that Harriet worked on can still be found at Disneyland and at Walt Disney World. So in today's episode, we're going to sit down with Harriet's granddaughter, uh, Haley, and talk a little bit more about Harriet's life, about some of the stories that Haley learned as she was growing up as her grandmother told her, and share a little bit more knowledge about Harriet's role at Walt Disney Imagineering. It is truly an incredible interview. It is probably one of my favorites to date, if not my favorite so far, of Imagineer Podcast, and I cannot wait for you to hear some of the stories that Haley had to share with me. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer Podcast on all of your favorite social media channels, and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. So when I started Imagineer Podcast, it's no surprise that I was looking to pay tribute to the Walt Disney Imagineers past, present, hopefully inspire some future Imagineers as well. And I always love the opportunity to get to sit down and talk with an Imagineer. Now, unfortunately, the Imagineer that I would want to interview for this episode is no longer with us, but I am so excited to be chatting with her granddaughter, Haley. Um, so, Haley Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. It's a pleasure to have you on as well. And I know I even, I, you know, I didn't even um, think about, so your grandma's Harriet Burns. I, I didn't even think about interviewing her, of course, for obvious reasons, but then you tagged me on um, a post on Instagram and that started our conversation. So, um, I guess it's a pretty important milestone, so why don't you tell those listening what that milestone was? Yeah, well, just last week on August 20th would have been my grandmother's 91st birthday. Uh, And so uh, every year I I just, I love to celebrate and uh, remember what an incredible woman she was and what a magical grandma she was for me growing up. 
That's awesome. And she certainly was, I know, we can thank her for a lot of the magic that she brought to the Disney parks. Um, she was known as the first lady of Imagineering, and I know we're going to be talking quite a bit. I'm really excited to hear these stories from you because we have not chatted much prior to this. I wanted to get those initial reactions about uh, her life and her work and what it's meant to you and your family as well. So before we get into any of that, I always have my lightning round questions for new guests, and you're a new guest, so you're, I'm going to have to put you in the hot seat and ask you my, my round of Disney favorite questions. I want to start with your favorite Disney park. Well, hands down, it has to be the original Disneyland. Um, I am a California girl at heart. Uh, even though I no longer live on the West Coast, I, you know, Disneyland is basically where I grew up. <laughs> um, however, and a close second to that one is Epcot, which I have visited much more recently. And, and I, I think Epcot is so cool. But the original just it has a certain level of magic that none of the parks to me really capture. That's great. There's not many guests on the show who've said Disneyland, but I agree with you. It's def- it's the it is the original, and there's a different feeling when you walk through Disneyland than when you walk through the other Disney parks. Um, but as a person who has been a fan of Epcot most of my life, I'm I'm pretty happy that uh, or been, Epcot's been my favorite most of my life. I'm happy that that is also at the top of your list there too. Um, what about your favorite? Do you have a favorite Disney attraction? See, this one's tough. I have to qualify it a little bit because to me, you can't really compare the classic, you know, nostalgic dark rides with the, you know, more thrilling rides. And I'm a total thrill seeker. I adore all of the coasters, the, you know, Space Mountain and Thunder Mountain. And uh, I also love Expedition Everest uh, in Florida. But um, then there's also, you know, the really sweet, more classic rides that aren't thrilling but they're so charming and so I, I like I can't pick necessarily a favorite but I do have to say I would say probably the favorite ride that my grandmother worked on is Pirates of the Caribbean because that one just transports you so fully to a completely different world um, and I love hearing her tell stories about building that ride uh, and then my other favorite is Splash Mountain because it so perfectly marries the charm of you know the boat ride and going through the animatronic scenes with the thrill of the big splash um so to me it's the best of both worlds that's fair you know at disneyland's uh pirates of the caribbean is actually my favorite attraction there and uh really yeah it it is when i i in the past actually said space mountain um but as time has gone on it has become pirates has always been at the top five for me but it's actually creeped up into the number one spots um ahead of indiana jones adventure and space mountain i love the floor rides too um but that's that's an awesome answer what about your favorite disney movie again i have to qualify i know <laughs> I, there's like probably a three-way tie on this one because i just can't pick a favorite movie because i grew up on disney movies just forever and ever um i love Hercules, just because the muses are so fierce. And I might be going to see it in New York. Uh, they are, are producing it in public. Um, so I may be going to see Hercules, uh, the new production. That's awesome. Um, but I love that movie. I also really love um, The Lion King. I have not seen the new one yet, but the original is just to me one of the you know, best made animated films of all time. 
Um, and I love Pocahontas. She was my princess obsession when I was little, even though she doesn't have the prettiest, frilliest dress. Um, to me, she was just so cool because she, you know, she had the hair. I mean, she was always like my hair rolled. Um, and she had that cool, like lunge slinky walk through the reeds. And she was just, she did you know, diving off of waterfalls, and I just wanted to be Pocahontas when I was little. So that's one of my other favorites, not to mention a spectacular score by Alan Menken that I absolutely love. Very true, very true. And you should go see The New Lion King. It is very good. Um, but Lion King is actually my favorite movie, so uh, I I can agree with you on that one. Um, uh, and Hercules, of course, is amazing, so really great answers. This is the hardest one, and I, I'll admit everyone struggles with this question. Do you have a favorite Disney character? Oh, mm, you know, it's a tie, again, in the same film, probably between Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. Oh, those are uh, awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, partly because Tinkerbell... She's like, <laughs> she's depicted now, especially as she's like the the source of magic for the Disney film. She always like, you know, her magic wand taps the top of the castle and everything like that. Um, but she, you know, in the original movie, she's so sassy. <laughs> she is. <laughs> you know, she's like, she has this like attitude that I kind of love that isn't necessarily present in all of the other Disney female characters. Um, but Peter Pan is such... Uh, you know, a close character to me as well because I refused to grow up ever. And um, when I was in my teens, I actually played Peter Pan uh, in a musical of growing up. And that was one of the first leading roles that I ever had. And it, uh, my grandmother came to see me in the show. And so that was really exciting. And so I've always had a very deep connection to Peter Pan as well. That's amazing. I, I love that she came to see you in the play, and there's a strong Disney connection there, and uh, y you have great answers. So um, I definitely get more of a, a feel of what type of Disney fan you are, and you certainly are a classic at heart, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got Disneyland, you've got uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you've got Tinkerbell and Peter Pan, and of course, because you grew up in the 90s, which I did too, your Disney classics are the the movies of the the mid to late nineties, which is not a surprise at all. Oh, yeah. um, it's definitely the same for me. So let's let's talk a little bit about your your grandmother, who's Harriet Burns. So she was the first lady of Walt Disney Imagineering. Um, I want to read because they do. She was a Disney legend, which I also want to talk about. There's a lot I want to talk about, but. Um, D23 has on their website, I think, a pretty good description of her, at least from a, a fan level. You could obviously tell me on a personal level. But uh, so what D23 says, quote, as the first woman ever hired by Walt Disney Imagineering in a creative capacity, Harriet Burns helped design, prototype and build theme park attractions featured at Disneyland, Walt Disney World and the New York World's Fair of 1964 to 65. And while she worked shoulder to shoulder with men in the model shop, wielding saws, lathes, and sanders, she was still the best-dressed employee in the department, which is an awesome description of her. Um, and I definitely want to talk a lot about her career, but I thought maybe first we would take a little bit of a step back and uh, look a, a little bit more into her early life and career. Um, so I know that she grew up in Texas. What was her early life like growing up there? 
Oh, gosh. Um, well, I know she was born in Seguin, Seguin, Texas, in 1928. Um, and uh, she had several siblings, and uh, one is still living. And um, her, uh, we call her Aunt Susie. She's my great Aunt Susie. Uh, and as far as I know, she was always very creative. Um, her nickname growing up was Tippy, <laughs> and her maiden name was Tap. So her her nickname was Tippy Tap. <laughs> um, and I know that she loved Shirley Temple, which went hand in hand with that nickname. Um, but I also know that her parents sort of discouraged her artistic career um they didn't really see it as a serious thing to follow and while um you know it was expected that she got an education because both of her parents were educated including her mother which at the time was rare and her mother also uh traveled a lot um which was rare for you know a single woman before she was married um back in those days uh, but they expected her to go to college and be educated, but it was mostly for the purpose of wanting her to meet a husband. <laughs> um, they didn't really expect her to actually pursue the thing that she majored in, which was art. Uh, and she, she did fulfill her expectations. She did meet her husband, Bill, in college. Uh, but um, obviously her art major took her uh, you know, above and beyond anybody's expectation. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, um, so there's a couple things I love. Uh, so actually one thing in particular that you mentioned, which was that she was actually a, a fan of Shirley Temple growing up. And my grandmother grew up about the same time period, although growing up in the Northeast rather than Texas, but she loved Shirley Temple so much that my mom is named after Shirley Temple's daughter. Um, Amazing. <laughs> um, and the same exact spelling and everything intentionally just because my grandmother loved Shirley Temple. Um, so, but yeah, it's interesting that she, she led a very, you know, uncommon lifestyle for a, um, as far as career wise, at least for a, uh, you know, a woman of her time nowadays, you know, it's a, definitely more common but it's interesting that even your great-grandmother was of a you know a similar um, career mentality as well like very career focused which is amazing um, for that time period um, and I always love hearing stories like that and I think it definitely helped her to get to her her career at Disney too um, so did so I'm glad she went to college before she went to Disney, uh, did she work anywhere else? Was she was Disney the first job she had, or did she come out of school and, and work in other places first? Yeah, she did work other places. I was actually just re- reading up on this myself because she didn't talk a whole lot about that uh, with us. But um, I know that she worked uh, on Santa's workshop. It, like, uh, it was like a either a show or a display or something in Los Angeles. Um, and so she, w- she designed a lot of the sort of staging for uh, this Santa's workshop um, activity in Los Angeles. I know she also worked in uh, Las Vegas temporarily um, doing uh, stage settings and painting for, um, I think it was a couple of the resorts that were up and coming at the time. Um, and I believe, if 
my reading is correct, that it was one of her colleagues at Las Vegas uh, who was a former Disney employee who um, decided, sort of took her with him to Disney. Um, And that's where she uh, started working at Disney. Sort of a fun story that I've heard. And I don't know if this is just rumor or a little legend that she liked to tell. Uh, but, <laughs> I love it. Um, rumor has it that she only got the interview because they was Harry, not Harriet. Um, but then, of course, she had the interview and floored Walt, and uh, he took her on as the first female Imagineer. That's amazing. And that, that it would be so interesting if that is true, um, if they if they thought her name was Harry instead of Harriet. <laughs> um, and that's why they, they took her into the interview. But um, so did she actually interview with Walt himself or did she interview with uh, someone on his team? You know, I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine that she probably did interview with Walt. I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you what is fact for sure, but I do know that Walt was very taken by her. Um, but it's, it's, it's entirely probable that she just interviewed with somebody on the team. Yeah, I'm curious, especially because I know she was one of the original Imagineers. So beyond being even the first lady of Imagineering, she was one of the first people of Imagineering back when it was still wed, um, as opposed to, you know, Walt Disney Imagineering today. Um, okay. So... That's that's great that she had a uh, you know colleague and friend take her to Disney with her and move to Los Angeles and take up life over there. Um, so, how speaking of Walt Disney, I mean, I'm sure she has a lot of stories about Walt, or at least a few that she's passed on to you. How did she describe Walt Disney? Oh, she just loved him. Um, she loved him and his family. I know she was very close with Diane. Uh, right up until um, her passing. Uh, and I had the fortune, the great fortune of meeting Diane before she passed away as well. Um, but she talked nothing but positive and favorably, uh, favorable, you know, things about Walt. Um, I think she loved working with him. And apparently he was a frequent uh, stopper at her desk, all of the men you know, would kind of flock around her desk because she was, you know, the most beautiful woman and so impeccably dressed, you know, any story that you hear about her uh, talks about her fashion sense and her immaculate appearance. Um, But she was also kind of a flirt. And um, so I know that Walt loved coming through the model shop uh, because it was, to him, I think it was like, taking a break from, you know, the stresses of managing his up and coming empire. Um, going to the model shop was like going to play a little bit. And so he would always stop by and look at what they were building. And it was sort of seeing the three dimensional fruition of his ideas coming to life. Um, and loved kind of getting into how things worked and, I also heard that he was kind of notorious for like breaking tiny little things, um, <laughs> like get up into whatever they were doing. And then he would touch some tiny little model that hadn't quite been glued, to, glued down yet or something. And oh, it would no. fall over. Um, one of my favorite stories that she told is that he insisted on being pushed through the, um, the scale models of the attractions on a wheeling chair <laughs> so that he could see sort of at eye level um, what 
the audiences and what the guests would uh, see and feel as they were going through the attraction. So he sort of insisted on being pushed on a wheeling chair through this through this thing so that he could experience it and see exactly what the guests would see. That's so funny. I could actually picture the Imagineers pushing him on a chair, on wheels, <laughs> through the ride, <laughs> through the model of the attraction. Um, and honestly, I, that, I think, is a, a clear... Definitely a true story from everything we know about Walt. He was definitely a kid at heart, and he cared so much about those details. So I could see him not only just wanting to walk through it, but no, I want to be pushed through it so that I can experience it the way the guests would. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I'm, I'm glad you also brought up her impeccable uh, taste in fashion as well. And that's actually something that they quote your grandmother on in uh, again, on her on her page, her tribute on D23. Um, so the quote that she says is, um, quote, it was the 1950s. I wore color-coordinated dresses, high heels, and gloves to work. Girls didn't wear slacks back then, although I carried a pair of, uh, or sorry, a, ca- a pair in a little sack just in case I had to climb into high places. Um, I know that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And perfectly accurate until the day she died. I never saw her with her hair down once. Um, it was always in the perfect updo. She went to get it done every single week. Um, her hairstyle rarely changed. <laughs> um, and she, her sort of trademark was the scarf around her neck. Yes. And so when she passed away, we actually had a tribute scarf made to go with the tribute book that we made uh, to sort of honor her life with stories from friends, family, and colleagues. But we specifically um, designed a scarf a commemorative scarf, uh, like the ones that she wore around her neck. Um, pretty much every time I saw her, that was, that was the look. It was the updo and the scarf around the neck, if not a string of pearls. Um, always, you know, a classic low sensible pump. Um, <laughs> and, uh, either, you know, a impeccably pressed, you know, most likely designer brand pantsuit or dress. Uh, and, and she maintains that her entire life. I, I never knew anything different. That's great. It's good to hear that she even, um, you know, sometimes you wonder someone, if, if someone has a professional side and then a personal side, it sounds like the, the, the side that she presented at Walt Disney Imagineering was her own personality, which is always mm-hmm. wonderful to see that it, you know, it's, it's, it shows that she was able to really be herself in her mm-hmm. work environment, which is really a testament to, uh, you know, to the culture that Walt created, but also to the person that your grandmother was and that she was open and honest, um, you know, in all circumstances and just was herself as much as she could be. Um, we haven't talked too much about what she did. So I know that she worked in the model shop. What exactly was her role? in Walt Disney Imagineering in the model shop? Well, so she began, um, I believe one of her first jobs was uh, dressing sets for Babes in Toyland. Um, Or actually, no, excuse me, one of her very first jobs was uh, working on um, the Mouse Clubhouse and the Mouse Mouse Curly for the TV show. Um, And then she went on to start working on uh, things for live action films like Babes in Toyland and like Mary Poppins. Um, one of my favorite things to tell people, one of the most recognizable 
items that she built was the robin that sits on Mary Poppins' finger in Spoonful of Sugar. No way. Yeah. Um, And then as they started to, you know, as they were building the park, um, she was both, uh, she did both scale models, um, you know, designing things before they were built into full fruition, helping to design aspects of uh, the park. And she did figure finishing, which um, she worked very closely hand in hand with Blaine Gibson on. And they maintained a very close relationship all the way through their lifetimes. And later in life, well, after they were both widowed, they sort of struck up a little bit of a a sweetheart kinship, if you will. Um, That's awesome. But uh, Blaine, (laughs) yeah, so she worked very closely with Blaine in that he would do the sculptures uh, and would sculpt the the faces and the figures for the animatronic figures and then she would come in and paint the skin add the eyes you know um assist with dressing although she wasn't in the dressing department but um she's sort of what made just a a simple sculpture come to life with all the, the fine detail um uh i know that she also assisted in the design of the Sleeping Beauty Castle with Fred Jerker um, and uh, worked hands-on. She she created, actually, her assignment was to create the Tiki Birds. Uh, and she tells a fun story about that, that, you know, Walt came in and was, he brought in like a wind-up toy, like a wind-up bird from Europe or something. And was like, I want to figure out how to make something like this. But, you know, they've been doing this technology for hundreds of years and, I think we could do something even better now with the technology we have. So uh, I want them to be life-size and I, you know, they're all going to have different feathers and some of them will wag their tails and some of them will shake their heads and tweet. Uh, But I want them all to breathe. (laughs) And she goes, oh, they have to breathe. Okay. Um, (laughs) And so it took her a long time to figure out how to uh, create the, you know, this breastplate on these birds so that it could move with the, you know, mechanics inside the bird and you know put the feathers on it so that the feathers could expand and contract and um she tried probably hundreds of different types of stretchy spandex material and none of it worked quite right because every time it contracted uh it would sort of wrinkle or mess up something funny Um, and she finally was she was talking to walt and she she saw him gesturing with his arms and he always he always wore his favorite uh blue it was like a blue wool sweater or something and She said you see it in a lot of the photos in an interview um, of him, but it was sort of a loose-fitting sweater. And she she was looking at him gesturing with his arms and how the sweater sweater bent with his elbow and then expanded. And she was like, I'm going to try that. That looks like it works works great. (laughs) So she she picked out a bunch of sweater material uh, inspired by Walt's blue sweater, and that's what ended up being um, the material that they used for the tiki birds so that they could breathe. <laughs> that's amazing. I had heard that story before, not the part with Walt though. That's really interesting. And it always amazes me because these are the things that I think about when I go to Disney. And I know a lot of other Disney fans are the same way that somebody built this, somebody created this, somebody designed it. And I have always been fascinated by the stories of people doing it's their job to come in and think about this type of work and to know that 
the projects that your grandmother worked on are still around. Those are the still mm-hmm. the same tiki birds at Disneyland, um, you know, for the last 60 years. And she was just doing her job, thinking about how to take Walt's idea and bring these birds to life. And then every time walking down the uh, Main Street USA, looking at Sleeping Beauty Castle, knowing she had a role in that as well. Um, mm-hmm. I love how you added in there too the the core the the relationship she had with uh, Blaine Gibson. Those are the things they would not write in a Disney book necessarily. Right. Um, exactly. But it's the friendships that develop at Walt Disney Imagineering between peers who are just working, much like you would in an office, build friendships. And it sounds like obviously your grandmother had a great relationship with the other Imagineers as much as with Walt himself, which is wonderful. Um, so. Of all those projects, of course, uh, I think you also mentioned she worked on Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, oh, yeah. So do you have any fun stories from her working on that attraction? I do. I have um, a couple of fun stories. One in particular that I always loved hearing. I would ask her to tell it all the time. Um, but the, before I get to that, I, I remember being really little and going on that ride for the first time, you know, being maybe five years old or something like that when it was finally not too scary for me or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so mind blown by the fire scene um, in Pirates because to me, five, I was like, it's on fire. It's really on fire. That's fire. It's convincing. <laughs> and, I, and I was asked, I asked her repeatedly for years how they did that. And she refused to tell me because she didn't want to ruin the magic. Um, and there were a lot of secrets like that, that especially when we were younger, she would not ruin it for us. Um, it wasn't until much later when we kind of figured it out and like asked her about like, is this how it's really done? And she would kind of like tell us something with a wink, you know? Um, (laughs) but one of my favorite stories about the Pirates of the Caribbean is, uh, the story about the pirate who sits, he's a very drunken pirate who sits on the bridge with his very hairy leg hanging down over the bridge. That's right that you you go underneath um, in the boat. And uh, that's her pirate. She did that pirate, as well as many others. But um, specifically that one, because he's so prominent and every single person notices him. Um, He is designed after their milkman at the time. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because, you know, back in those days, you, you had your milk bottles delivered. And, uh, he, he was their milkman and she, I think she greeted him at the door one day and, and thought that that would make a great pirate. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, and, uh, she apparently had to stick every individual hair in his leg separately in that figure. Oh my gosh. Um, Just like at least a few hundred from the looks of it. (laughs) So... So many, but it had to put every individual hair in one at a time uh, on that very hairy leg that hangs down swinging off the bridge that you see as you go under it. Um, so I always loved hearing that one. And every single time, no matter how many times I go on that ride, every time I'm on it, I have to snap a, pi- a picture of the milkman pirate. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to be thinking about him going forward. You've totally <laughs> shifted my whole perception of that animatronic, which I love. That's amazing. Um so I, I believe she also worked, you know, in New Orleans Square specifically, she also worked on the Haunted Mansion? 
Yes, yes, she did. So what were I don't know anything yeah. specifically about. Uh, she didn't talk about individual stories on haunted mansions so much. Again, I would ask her time and time again how they did the the ghosts in the ballroom, and she never told me, not once. Um, <laughs> she refused, and so it's still kind of. I mean, I know that it's some element of and I think you guys talked about this in your uh, one of your recent podcast episodes about the haunted mansion um that it's it's some combination of lights and glass and mirrors and that I think animatronic figures in a mirror somewhere that's reflected by glass I have no idea but um she she would never actually tell the truth about um how they did that. And she loved, you know, she loved to tease. She had a great sense of humor and always had a twinkle in her eye and a little wink. Um, and so she would say something, but then sort of like wink at me. And I'd be like, well, is that, is that true or not? <laughs> um, so yeah, that she, but I know that she worked on uh, a lot of the figures and set dressings on that one as well. And she, she has a tombstone in Florida. Um, I know that when you're waiting in line outside of the Haunted Mansion in uh, Magic Kingdom in Florida, um, she has a rather large tombstone just on the other side of the fence when you're waiting in line. Um, and uh, so I always I love seeing that as well. You're right. I totally forgot about that. She is in the graveyard. I don't remember exactly what her grave says, and I'm usually pretty good at remembering that, but now I have to pay extra close attention next time I go, or I'll just look it up and see what it says. I have a photo of it somewhere, but I, it would probably take me too long to just go back and find it right That's now. fine. I'll, I'll just tell the <laughs> listeners to go and look it up as well, or next time you're at the Magic Kingdom, look out for Harriet Burns' tombstone. Um, it's very uh, real near the area. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very near the area where you're in line, where there's a bunch of, like, magical things or, like, musical things that you can touch and it makes noise or it sprays water at you or um, there's some kind of symphony something that, like, entertainment while you're waiting in line. It's very near that. And it's just on the other side of the fence. It's a very tall pillar-like stone. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out next time. And I love how you're describing the way that she in almost true magician form, you know, a good magician never reveals her tricks and she was similar. She didn't want to spoil the magic for you, which I can appreciate. Um, mm -hmm. I know when I hear interviews with other, especially, uh, you know, voice actors, for instance, if, if uh, someone approaches Tom Hanks and there's a kid around and asks him to do the voice of Woody, he always asks the kids to close their eyes because it just totally would ruin it to, to see Tom Hanks do it as opposed to, like, picturing Woody say it. As an adult, it might be a little different, but as a kid, it definitely changes your whole perception of that experience. So I appreciate that she didn't want to spoil that magic for you. Um, just, you know, I actually yeah. did think of one other uh, oh, Haunted yeah, Mansion yeah. story. Um, I remember from the recent episode about the Haunted Mansion uh, that you were discussing Madame Leota and Leota Tunes. Um, and not many people know that my grandma Harriet was actually the first contender for um, Madame Leota. Uh, I don't know if they would have called her Madame Leota or Madame Harriet or whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> Madame uh, we have, yeah, right. 
we have uh, test shots of her um, with the, the sort of black draping around her body, so, and they were just uh, getting shots of her head. Because um, Walt, again, he he just loved her and always featured her at uh, the live TV sort of World of Color tours that they did, the sort of unscripted tours. She was always sort of passing through shots in that because, um, you know, she was a very attractive young woman. Um, and I, so I think he initially thought of her for Madame Leota to use her face, but uh, her features were too petite. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> they, they didn't they didn't stand out starkly enough in the Crystal Ball, so they ended up going with Leota Toombs, whose features are um, just perfect. That's incredible. I did not know that about her, but that is, again, something I am now definitely not going to forget. <laughs> um <laughs> So among the other projects that she worked on, and we don't necessarily have to go one by one, but just of the projects I can remember, I know she helped contribute to the model for Matterhorn bobsleds. Um, I believe Great Moments of Mr. Lincoln and Carousel of Progress. Um, Did she share any stories about any of those attractions, and especially Great Moments of Mr. Lincoln and Carousel of Progress, since those have more of a strong tie to the uh, 1964-65 World's Fair. Yes, she worked very closely uh, with Walt and Blaine for the World's Fair, um, and that was a really exciting experience for her because she and Blaine got to go to the World's Fair with Walt. They were flown in his private jet, and uh, um, it, was, it was a really fun and slightly glamorous experience for her that she remembered very fondly. Um because they worked so hand in hand on uh, the figures of Lincoln and all of the family members in Carousel of Progress, uh, which was really fun for me to see when I finally got to Florida. Again, it took me a long time to actually get to Disney World, having grown up in California. But um, when I finally got to see Carousel of Progress and experience this attraction that she had been talking about and that I'd heard about for so many years... um, that was that was really fun for me, but I know that it was a huge deal for them to present those at the World's Fair because it was the first of that technology, the, you know, the animatronic technology to be presented on that public and that wide of a scale, um, and uh, so that was really exciting. Um, uh, what was what was some of the other attractions you had asked about? Um, Matterhorn bobsleds was the other one that I mentioned. Besides yes. those two, so it was originally going to be Candy Mountain. Yes, that I remember. Uh, and, <laughs> and she did the model. She did the original scale model of Candy Mountain that is floating around in an exhibit somewhere. I think at one point it was in uh, California in California Adventure in, in a window display or something. Um, it's a rather large model. Uh, I think it's, you know, maybe four feet tall or so. Um, but so I know that she did the original design for Candy Mountain, and we have some photos of her working on it with Fred Jerker. Um, but, uh, and then ultimately they went with the Matterhorn. But um, she she always enjoyed, you know, working on that. And um, I think there might be like, when we were going through her house, you know, which we call sort of like the dig because there was, there was quite a plethora of treasures to go through, um, after she passed away. And, uh, I think we may have found some like old discarded 
you know, large candy pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, that we identified as part of, you know, discords from the model or something like that. She, she held on to a lot of that stuff. Um, and, uh, so that was, that was fun for us as well. Um, some other favorite projects that I know she worked on small world. She had a huge hand in, uh, building the dolls and she did a lot of figure finishing on them. Uh, I know specifically the can can girls and, uh, she talks about the hyenas in small world. I um, love the hyenas. That's actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole ride. Really? <laughs> Again, figuring out the hairs for the hyenas. Um, I guess she dealt with a lot of hair. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I know that um, it took her a long time to figure out exactly quite the right texture of um, material to use for the hairs on the hyenas. Uh, and she really enjoyed working on Small World with Mary Blair and uh, the whole team that worked on that one. One of my favorite uh, smaller items that she did um, that I love to tell people about is the Sleeping Beauty book. Um, the book that uh, is live action, and then you open up the storybook and we dive into the story of Sleeping Beauty. That's right. Um, she ha- she made that book uh, by hand. And when she retired, all of her colleagues uh, created a book for her and they sort of made a replica of the Sleeping Beauty book, but wrote Harriet Burns on the front instead of Sleeping Beauty. That's so amazing. Um, yeah. And so that's another that's another favorite of mine of her projects. Amazing projects. Again, most of these attractions are still around. I think the only one technically, technically, that's not still around is the submarine voyage. Um, it's, oh, I remember that though. <laughs> yeah, I remember too. I remember too. the submarine voyage. And it's still there. It's just Finding Nemo's submarine voyage instead of Twenty Thousand Nemo now. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, I. She. Um, she always talked about the mermaids on that one because I remember vividly going on the submarine ride when I was very young before they shut it down. And, and, um, for a long time, it was just an empty lake before they turned it into finding Nemo. Um, but, uh, she talks about the mermaids and how their hair once again, <laughs> always goes back to the hair, but it's an important thing to figure to out. Hair. Yeah. Well, apparently the hair gave her the most troubles cause she talked about it the most, but, um, you know, especially the blonde ones, the blonde mermaids, they couldn't figure out how to keep their hair from turning green in with the chlorine in the water. That's right. Um, and so she went through quite a process of trying to find the right material and the right dye uh, for the mermaid's hair because it kept turning blue and green <laughs> in the water um, or bleaching in the sun because, you know, it's sitting under the sunlight. And so even if it didn't turn colors from the chlorine, it would bleach. Uh, from too much time in the sun. So that, I think, <laughs> gave her a few headaches, but they finally figured it out. I don't know what the answer was, ultimately. Well, they did figure it out, and I don't remember the answer either, but I do remember reading about that actual issue with uh, the, the chlorine in the water um, or the, the, the bleaching of the sun from uh, you know, kind of bleaching their hair as well. Uh, but she figured it out, you know, just through just through her, again, trial just her daily work. Yeah, trial and error. Yeah. Um, so 
I know that obviously at a certain point she retired from Walt Disney Imagineering. When did she feel like she was ready to retire and how did she spend her retirement? Well, I know it was a very difficult decision for her. Um, I was reading about how many other theme parks and um, studios tried to lure her away from Disney. I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> and the one that the one that came the closest was an offer from Six Flags. And the only reason she, con- she even considered it was because it was in Texas, where she still had some family. Uh, but she ultimately declined because she lo- she just loved the work environment at Disney and she loved the work that they were doing because um, there was nothing like it. There was nothing so innovative and magical uh, like Disney. And um, so I know that retiring was a challenge, uh, but I think it was after a lot of her, you know, former and original colleagues um, had also left the studio and um and she'd worked there for 31 years, you know, it was, it was a really long time that she was there. Um, and I know that even later in her career, she, uh, made some additional very close friends, um, in the studio, primarily, uh, one being Jim Sarno, who is now a very close friend of our family. Uh, we grew very close with him in the process of, um, going through her sort of, again, her like sort of treasure dig, uh, and in the planning of her memorial, um, he was, Jim Sarno was very present through all of that. And so we became very close with him and learned of his friendship with my grandmother, um, as he sort of came in as, uh, you know, one of the, the later waves. Um, so she had a lot of friends and, and very close relationships there. But ultimately, after 31 years, I think she she decided it was time. Um, Walt had passed. You know, he was no longer with um, the company or with us on the planet. (laughs) Uh, And um, that's when I think she made the decision. Her retirement, um, I mean, it was very quiet, I think, for the most part, other than her Disney engagements. We saw her... About twice a year, um, because she, she lived in Southern California uh, at her home in Santa Barbara, and we lived in Northern California in the North Bay. Um, and she would always come up for Christmas, and that was always a really fun and magical time, having her with us for Christmas. And then we would typically go down once a year in the summertime, uh, and she would take us to Disneyland, naturally. Um, <laughs> naturally. Good fit. Good decision. <laughs> and I know that she had a lot of Disney engagements and and, you know, fan things. I'm sure she went to, I don't know if she actually went to the D23 Expo, but she did a lot of things for Disney Anna and did talks at Pixar once Pixar really started to get moving and going and building. Um, and she downplayed all of it to us. <laughs> so we were almost never invited. I, I think I think my mom was there when she was... Um, basically indicted as a legend um, or inducted, excuse me, uh, as a, as a legend. And um, that was really big, but she, she just was like, Oh, it's just all frail and it's just all fluff. And don't you worry about it. It's just, they're making it fuss. <laughs> well, it's a <laughs> you know? big deal for Disney fans, but I love that she's very humble about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but there were so many events that, um, 
you know, we wish we could have been a part of, we wish we could have gone to or seen her being celebrated. And she was just like, oh, it's, you know, it's just a little thing. Don't fuss, you know. <laughs> um, but she had, you know, by late in her life and late in her retirement, you know, become quite a big deal amongst Disney fans and had earned, you know, minor celebrity status. And um, I'll never forget the one time we were visiting Disneyland. We went to uh, character breakfast at Goofy's Kitchen and... Uh, Donald Duck was there and Donald Duck was saying hello to everyone. And um, she showed him her legend ring on her finger. And not 10 minutes later, management came out and was like, Mrs. Burns, we're so sorry. We apologize. We had no idea you were on premises. And (laughs) we were like, wow, grandma's a big deal. Like she was the queen. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else we can do for you? This and that, whatever. And um, so that was something that she didn't, again, she did not brag about and very rarely let us into any of those sort of events or, or things like that. Um, but I know that, uh, that's, that's how she spent a lot of her time. But she, she lived happily in her beautiful home in Santa Barbara until she passed away. Uh, and as I mentioned before, struck up a very, very close, perhaps slightly romantic relationship with Blaine Gibson, um, as he lived in a retirement home just down the street from her house. Uh, and um, he sort of became our adopted grandpa because uh, her husband, uh, Bill Burns, passed away when my sister was just one year old and I, I was not even a thought yet. <laughs> so I never knew my grandfather and Blaine sort of happily accepted and adopted that role for us and that was that was really special to have that with him as well that's amazing to be able to say that Blaine Gibbs Blaine Gibson was like a grandfather to you um I couldn't even really imagine <laughs> <laughs> um I feel like that's a whole nother podcast episode too oh uh, yeah <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sure you've got some stories with him but I want to backtrack a little bit because there's something you mentioned earlier that I didn't even think to ask until you brought it up which was mm-hmm. Walt's passing, I know that it had a profound impact on a lot of the Imagineers. Did your grandmother talk at all about finding out that Walt had passed away or how it changed the environment of Imagineering or what that impact had on her personally? Or kind of yes, impact absolutely. Actually, there's, uh, I don't know if you've ever been, but in San Francisco, there's the Walt Disney Family Museum that Diane Disney um sort of founded and helped to curate uh, recently. And it's, it's really a spectacular museum, honestly, for any Disney fans, anybody who's really into the history. Um, the Disney, the Walt Disney Family Museum is beautifully designed, beautifully put together. Um, but there is uh, an exhibit sort of at the end of the museum where you can hear uh, audio recordings of some of the original uh, both Imagineers and animators and lots of employees at the company sort of talking about the moment that they learned that Walt had passed. And so I got to hear grandma's recording of that. And it was, you know, she had sort of told the story to us, but it wasn't something that she, you know, it's not something that a grandma sort of just like bubbles on about to her grandkids. <laughs> of you know course, what I mean? of course. Yeah. Um, Cause it's such a somber moment, but, um, there was somebody in the office who accepted a phone call and was just sort of went white faced, ashen faced. And 
And my grandma turned to her when she hung up the phone and said, what is it? And she said, Walt died, you know, Walt, Walt died. Uh, and, and I think grandma's response was, well, that just can't be, <laughs> that, that just can't be. Um, and, uh, the shock I think was a huge part, you know, it just sort of rippled through the entire company. Um, and as someone who had known and worked with him so personally, I know that it hit her pretty hard. And I think, um, you know, it, it affected her pretty, pretty deeply for a while. Um, uh, but they carried on the legacy, you know, and I think she actually did take it to heart, you know, as somebody who had worked with him directly and, and knew his vision that as new employees and new Imagineers were coming onto the team. I think she kind of felt responsible for carrying on, you know, the the ideas and the sort of attitude and spirit of it all. Well, I love that she continued his legacy, and it's definitely I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't been to the Walt Disney Family Museum because I haven't even been to San Francisco since I was 16, um, and that was on a school trip, so I had no choice of where I went. But <laughs> uh, it well, is well, you certainly high shouldn't list. be ashamed because, like I said, it's also it's a new new error, um, you know, addition to the area, and I know that. When I went for the first time, I was so impressed and, and again, sort of taken back into the magic of it all and uh, feels very much like it has the magic of that, you know, Walt Disney touch. Yeah. Um, and lots of fascinating stories. And the way that they use technology is also and just in the museum itself. It's extremely innovative and hands-on and you can listen to people talking. You can touch screens and play with things. And, and as they explain how you know, this, that, or whatever worked, you know, there are different sort of like hands-on activities for, for kids and adults, really, um, to sort of experiment with how that worked, you know, how sound worked early on in the, in the days of animation when they first added sound to pictures and, um, you know, how Walt experimented with his camera, you know, way back in the day, there's a video of him filming his mom jumping off of a, a roof or something like that and then he rewound it so it looked like she was flying up that's right roof. yeah <laughs> yeah um, and think little things like that it's like learning about how they figured all this stuff out it's just fascinating yeah definitely what's what fascinates me as well um so uh, just a couple more questions for you. So one, aside from uh, actually a question I, I did have you already answered, which was were you able to go to her Disney Legends ceremony? But it sounds like she didn't really talk about it and just found out after the she fact. Really so I would have wanted to go, but <laughs> it's kind of I funny. think my mom went. I believe that my mom went well, that's uh, good. in 2000. And that was a really exciting thing for my mom because she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. My mom's such a big deal. <laughs> I mean, you know, even Robert Downey Jr. just got the same award. Robin Williams has had that award. Marty Sklar, Tony Baxter, these huge names. And your mm -hmm. grandma's right up there with them. Um, so aside from that Disney legend um, award that she has, she also has I what I think is even a, a stronger um sort of place in history which is a window on main street at disneyland which is something that it, there's even just limited space period for who could be on the windows there have you gone back 
and looked at it? I mean, is it something where if you go to Disneyland, you pass by? And, and what does it mean to you to, oh, to see that window? Absolutely. Um, the window is it's very special to us, even if it's a little hard to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, the location of it is when you enter, when you enter Disneyland, um, as you're looking at Main Street, before you even really head up Main Street, when you're still just in the square there, it's off to the left next to the fire department um next to the fire station right by wall and uh it's up on the second floor and it says uh harriet's handmade miniatures um although oftentimes um miniatures i say it's hard to read because there's a flower box that's at the bottom of the window and sometimes if the flowers are particularly blooming they kind of cover up the words a little bit (laughs) (laughs) you can see her name at least you can see her name, and uh, I make I make a point to go visit it and wave and say hi to my grandma every time I go. Um, we have a particularly special photo um, of my mom, my sister, and I, and my sister's daughter um, for uh, my my sister's daughter, my niece's first visit to Disneyland when she was I think it was when she was like two two and a half years old. Um, we took her to Disneyland for the first time, and so we have. Um, three generations of women in the family standing in front of my grandma's window. And that's a really special photograph that we have for the family. That's so amazing. I have, uh, you know, I love pictures like that. I actually have um, at my wife and my wedding, um, like you, I actually didn't know my grandfather, both either one of my grandfathers, because they had passed away before I was born. And mm-hmm. um, my great uncle was very much like my grandfather. And so there's a picture of me and I, we're very fortunate he was still alive. He was 98 years old at our wedding. And we have a picture of me, my dad and my great uncle. Um, I can't even imagine if the three of us were standing in front of like his dad's window um, on Main Street. That would just add a whole nother level of uh, epicness to that photo. <laughs> um, so uh, my last question about your grandma is I know that obviously just in talking to you, she but you talked a lot about all these stories. And while I love her humility, she certainly was a big part of the Walt Disney Company's history and the presence, the fact that a lot of her work is still there. Um, How do you feel your grandmother has helped to sort of shape your career, your life, or be a a role model for you personally? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's... The big question. (laughs) Yeah. We're getting deep. Um... She's a huge inspiration. Um, I I know that I've also pursued an artistic life, an artistic career as an actor and a singer and a dancer in theater, which is different than the you know the fine art, the the uh, you know the painting and the sculpting and the hands-on art. I should say um, I went more of the performing route, but um, just sort of having the knowledge that this incredibly influential woman is in my blood a little bit, sort of keeps my fire lit. And, um, she, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's sort of something that's just always there in the back of my mind. Like she's, she's just sort of there with me. Um, and I feel really proud to be able to also carry on uh, a very creative life, um, sort of thanks to her. I know that um, <laughs> my mom told me that actually she originally kind of wanted to discourage them from 
pushing me through this performing arts lifestyle because in her day growing up the performing arts actors and singers they were more like vaudeville burlesque it was kind of a lower class thing um but I know that she definitely came around after she started coming to some of my performances growing up and ultimately um she helped put me through college uh when I went to the Boston Conservatory and got my degree in musical theater well, that's certainly an even better way to honor you is to help you go through that education. Um, yeah. Something I talk a lot about on the podcast is just the value of education and going after, you know, you want to go after your dreams, but you got to make them a reality with education. Um, so I'm glad that she was, uh, she came around and, and helped you through that. Um, so let's talk about you a little bit um so i because i know that you are an actor and a singer and a dancer and a voice actor um you know mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on and um i'd also of course I, I know you have a website so i'd love for you to to share for anyone listening who's looking to hire anyone um where they can go <laughs> to find you <laughs> yes uh well my you're very sweet i'm i'm very flattered um my website is HaleyClaire.com. Uh, it's spelled H-A-L-E-Y-C-L-A-I-R.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've been I've been pursuing musical theater my entire life, taking classes, uh, acting my entire life. Um, and then recently, I uh, <laughs> thanks to the feat that my grandmother blessed me with, I inherited her bunions. So I had to go through. This is rather like a roundabout story but i had to go through some foot surgery oh no um which took me out of performing for a little while but through that process i discovered voiceover and um i started uh taking classes in voiceover and i kind of got hooked um and so for the last three years about i've been working professionally as a commercial voiceover artist um i am currently the voice of cole's department store and uh, David's Bridal. You can hear my commercials, uh, both on TV and radio. Um, and I love working with both of those companies. Uh, and then I have several other spots. Uh, you can hear me on Spotify if you ever listen to, um, not the premium that doesn't have ads, but if you listen to the Spotify that has ads, you might hear some of my spots there as well. Um, and I just love voiceover. And that has been my primary focus, primary uh, employment recently, which I'm so happy about that sort of this slightly negative thing of having to go through foot surgeries and repair, uh, my, um, inherent bunions. Um, I discovered this whole other career path that has helped to support me. And, uh, while I'm continuing to pursue musical theater, which, um, you know, I, very much hope to one day soon make my my Broadway debut. The day you do, because I am in New York, you know I'm going to be buying a ticket to go see your show. <laughs> well, I very much appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I do believe everything definitely happens for a reason. And I love the fact that you're, you know, although it was an unfortunate circumstance to have to go through the surgery and everything that you discovered voice, uh, you know, voiceover work. I do not have, I have Spotify premium, so I don't hear the ads, but I am definitely going to be looking up the ads for uh, for Coles and for David's Bridal, just uh, now I'll actually be able to picture who's talking when I hear the ads. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll also make sure to put your uh, your website in the show notes. So if anyone's interested in learning more about you, um, they can go to go there to learn more. But oh, um, so much. I'm uh, I'm also yeah. on Instagram too. I love um, I love 
you know, following people and, and sharing stories on Instagram, I'm Haley.Claire on Instagram. It's spelled the same way. That's Very easy to remember. I'll put the link there too. Um, so, uh, Haley, I have to thank you so much for coming onto the show. This has been amazing talking with you and just learning more about your grandmother. And um, I, I just have enjoyed this conversation immensely. So thank you so much for, for being a part of, uh, of this episode. Yes, and thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's been so fun to sort of relive the nostalgia and celebrate my grandma again, you know, because she was just such a special woman. And, and I'm very proud to be her granddaughter and That's to be sure. able to And with that, we close out episode 56 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a very special thank you once again to Haley Claire for sitting down with me and talking a bit more about Harriet Burns's life. It has, it really was an incredible interview. I had so much fun chatting with Haley, and I would encourage all of you to check out her website, HaleyClaire.com, and to follow her on Instagram at Haley.Claire, and I'll put those links in the show notes below. And I, of course, want to hear from you. What of all of the Harriet Burns classic Disney attractions is your favorite? We talked about, again, attractions like it's a Small World, The Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, Matterhorn Bobsleds, The Enchanted Tiki Room, and so many others. So of those Harriet Burns uh, attractions, which one is your favorite? You can let me know in so many different ways. I would, as always, encourage you to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Imagineer Podcast. You can also reach out on Twitter at Imagineer News. Be sure you're following us in those places. And be sure to join our Facebook group, the Imagination or Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, which if you type that into your search bar on Facebook, it'll take you right there. Or go to facebook.com slash Imagineer Podcast and click on the Groups tab and you'll find that group there too. So be sure to join us and join the conversation over in our Facebook group. If you don't already subscribe to Imagine Your Podcast, well, please be sure to hit that subscribe button. Whether you subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, no matter your favorite podcast app, be sure to subscribe to us in that podcast platform. And if you haven't already taken the chance to rate and review the show, it really does so much to help our podcast to continue to grow. I've had so many amazing reviews coming lately, and I want to give or a special thanks to some of these reviewers, including Diane Ace, who says, Great minds think alike. I love, love, love all things Disney. And so do I, by the way, Diane. <laughs> Especially attractions and the details and facts about them. I don't have any other Disney nerds around me to discuss my love of these rides and attractions. And listening to your podcast is so refreshing. This is the first podcast I've ever heard, and I love it. Well, Diane, I'm so glad I could bring you over to the podcast world, and I'm really glad to hear that you love the Imagineer podcast. I also want to read a review from Disney Sadie 2006 who says, love this podcast. You see, I'm a huge fan of everything Disney. When I listen to these podcasts, the magic comes alive right away. I give it five stars. Sadie, thank you so very much to you as well. 
but just a couple more. One comes from TayCod211, who says, incredibly informative and enjoyable. This podcast is great for learning about Disney attractions. I am a seasoned Disney World visitor, and this podcast offers deep dives that a true Disney nerd loves. About to leave for my 30th visit in 27 years, wow, to Walt Disney World, and I am listening to this podcast to get in a Disney spirit. Keep up the good work. I certainly will. Thank you so much. Um, one more review from Jessica RP19, who says, amazing podcast. I absolutely love this podcast. It gives me a way to experience Disney magic when I'm home. Thank you for putting this podcast together. Jessica, thank you so much for listening to Imagine Your Podcast. Uh, several other reviews as well, which I will read in future episodes. But again, if you have not yet rated and reviewed the show in iTunes, it has helped us so much. And I encourage you to continue to review us if you haven't yet done so. I also just love reading your reviews, so really do appreciate you taking the time to do so. If you would like to reach out to me directly other than social media, you can also do so in a couple of ways. You can email me at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com, and I would encourage you to call our listener voicemail hotline if you would like to hear your voice on a future episode of Imagineer Podcast. You can reply to any of the questions in my podcast episodes, uh, or just leave your feedback or even a shout out from Walt Disney World or Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, or any of the Disney parks around the world, you can call that number at 516-406-8376, and I'll leave that number in the show notes below for you as well. If you would like to take your love of Imagineer podcast to the next level, be sure to join the Imagineer Society. You can learn more about the Imagineer Society by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast to learn how you can help to contribute to the Imagineer podcast and get some exclusive perks and rewards in return. Thanks as always to all of our Imagineer Society members. And again, go to patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast to learn more about the Imagineer Society. And lastly, I want to give a special thanks as always to our partners, The Kingdom Insider uh, at thekingdominsider.com and Academy Travel at academytravel.com. So if you're looking for Disney news, I strongly recommend going to Christie's website at thekingdominsider.com and following her on Instagram and all other social media channels. And if you are looking to work with someone who could help you to plan your vacation to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or any other Disney destination around the world, uh, Lisa and her team at Academy Travel are diamond earmarked, meaning that they are recognized by Disney for being one of the best, and I think actually the best, uh, Disney travel agency in terms of service and helping people plan their vacations, and it's all free to you. So be sure to check them out at academytravel.com. And last but not least, remember, as always, that it is always possible to go after your dreams and your goals. All it takes is that first step. Take that one action today to make that dream come true. And remember, as always, that quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast.
go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way.